Hello, and welcome to the Elysian Wine Club podcast, where I, Samantha Ray, help you live your most Elysian life, one glass of wine at a time. I have over 15 years experience as a wine professional, and I'm a certified sommelier. I am here to bring you the wonderful and enchanting world of wine in a sexy and digestible way. I want to show you that learning about wine can enhance your life, your connections, and your pleasure. This is the Elysian Lifestyle. And welcome back to the Elysian Wine Club podcast. I'm super excited. This is my first guest. Uh, Laura is not only um, an amazing guest, but also my friend. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about her and then we're going to jump into it. We're just going to have a casual conversation. We're going to learn a little bit more about Laura's story, um, her business, and a little bit about the wine industry. So a little bit about Laura. Laura Milnes, she's a self-employed wine professional based in Toronto, where she specializes in Canadian wine, offering intimate and unique tasting experiences that showcase the bounty of amazing wines being produced across the country. She operates her private tasting business under her brand Crushable, which also functions as a direct consumer wine club. So welcome, Laura. Hello, hello. Um, okay I'm super excited we'll just jump right into it uh, we also have some Laura and I each have a wine that we're slowly sipping on we'll talk about in a little bit but first we want to get to know Laura so Laura tell us a little bit more about you uh, and it's specifically this is really cool too because I'm as I was writing these questions out I was like I don't know some of the answers to these questions or the full answer to these questions so if you would just give us a little intro to you and sort of your like, or I don't know if I love that term, but the origin story uh, and how sort of you got into wine, what initially excited you about wine and yeah, whatever, whatever comes to mind, whatever you'd like to share. Um, I think I got into wine just because I am a total dweeb at heart. Uh, I just, you know how you kind of always try to hide the real version of yourself as you're growing up yeah because you you know you don't want to be bullied or you want to be a cool kid um and that's something that I've battled for the bulk of my life in spite of the fact that I just turned 40 I still have that like you got to be cool um and so I just sort of found wine because it was just this convergence of all these really interesting things that had always uh piqued my curiosity um and you actually touched on this in a really great post um about this where wine is just this melting pot of history and geology and geography and you can go in so many different directions Um, you can specialize in one variety or you can specialize in one soil type or like in my case I specialize in Canadian wine and even that in and of itself is like way too vast of a topic Um, and so I think I kind of just fell into it serendipitously Um, and I can go into other reasons as to why Um, there's a whole other psychological aspect to why I am now self-employed also um but kind of the the layman's story that I give to my guests and clients is that I fell into it by osmosis my parents purchased a property in the Okanagan in 1997 that was adjacent to a vineyard and so I joke that it's just sort of like in my veins and uh my family's also European so wine was always on the table and I was always welcome to enjoy it um so there's a couple of different reasons plus just 
I'm very curious and I love to travel and wine has always been that sort of through line for me throughout it all. So, yeah, I, I love it. I think that like, travel is like a huge thing for me too. <laughs> getting into wine, especially when you travel to uh, other, you know, other countries that are wine is so steeped in their culture. It's almost, I don't know, it's impossible not to be intrigued. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially when you're a hedonist and yeah. an epicurean and it goes hand in hand with so many uh cuisines as well um that said the bulk of my travel with my partner has been to non-wine producing uh, regions so i have made him promise that our next trip will be to europe somewhere so that i can just like bask <laughs> and everything to do with wine yes i love it okay well i'll meet you there <laughs> okay so then um no that's a that's a good little like intro what I'm curious about sort of your like initial learning journey so what kind of like tradition when did you get into any type of traditional education and what did what was that and what did it look like so um I've lived all over Canada um like I was born in Manitoba uh lived in BC twice also Alberta I'm now in Ontario And I think I just sort of picked up inspiration along the way, meeting all kinds of different people. But when I really started to get into it, it was right after university. I finished a a degree in um, political science, which I think is kind of hilarious. Looking back now, I had aspirations of working at the UN at one point in time, which I think is so funny to think back to that former version of myself. And I was working a very soulless job for direct energy in Calgary and oil and gas, just like a sales coordinator job, just pumping out contracts. And I remember sitting in this like gray fluorescent lit cubicle and being like, is this really going to be my life? And then concurrently, I had always had a love for hosting and throwing parties and I would just throw wine tastings on the weekend and we would try a whole bunch of different wines together with my friends. And I, at the time I probably was pouring like barefoot and like all kinds of like really embarrassing shit, but we all start there. Right. And I learned just, it's like the, the rabbit hole theory or the iceberg theory, like the more you dig, the more you find. And I realized and learned that I could um, educate myself uh, officially or formally in wine. And so I enrolled in uh, the wine and spirit education trust And then obviously you meet so many different people in the trade. And this is going back like 15 years now. So this is when it was kind of like on the cusp of like becoming really big in terms of wine education in Canada. And I just met so many different people, GMs and restaurateurs and people who owned wine boutiques. And I was like, oh my God, like I can make a career out of this. Like this is really cool. And so I think within a matter of months of finishing my advanced level, I gave my notice to my um, oil and gas job and took a job as a sales rep with uh, a now defunct wine agency. And then it just blossomed from there. And I, I love to look back because when you're young, like in your 20s, you don't think that those are formative years. You're like, oh, whatever, this is just a means to an end. I'm kind of like at the bottom of the totem and I'm like working my way up but it really does change and mold you in like these tiny little um, ways like an ice sculpture or some sort of really beautiful thing that like like those rocks on the beaches that just get like um, rounded out over time with like each wave you know and so like if not for all of those different paths that I took I never would have ended up where I am right now yeah no very cool I you know you said something that like really resonated with me 
with the, you know, where we started, like your wine, you know, uh, hosting dinners with people over and just like interest in wine before you started your education. And you mentioned barefoot. I like, remember, I remember starting out too. And I think it's a good thing to point out because like when we, everybody starts out, it's like this very, you really have no idea where to start. And you don't like in your twenties, you don't have a lot of money. Right. So it's like, yeah. Maybe working in oil and gas, you had a little bit more cash, but I, but no, I did not. Okay. (laughs) I guess there's this way too, in which it's like, you know, it's, it's risky when you don't like you're interested in wine, but you don't know quite what to buy or what to share. So I remember, I don't think I see this brand run anywhere, but do you remember the brand painted turtle? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's like a kid <laughs> barefoot, right? So we like, we all started yeah. there. I remember buying like the different kinds of painted turtle and being like so intrigued. And I guess like uh, all I want to, we'll, we'll get to like um, maybe a little bit more about like conventional versus like, you know, smaller produced wines uh, later on. But I thought that was, um, no, very interesting. I think we, you know, most people start there. So. Oh, absolutely. And and you're so afraid to admit that you don't know everything. Yeah. And I th- and then you just like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead of your questions or anything, but the, and then you, every passing year, the older I get, the, the more I'm like, oh my God, I was so foolish. What was I thinking? Of course I didn't know everything. And that's okay to admit. Yes. I looked dumber for trying to masquerade as though I did. Right. I know. Well, and actually, no, this isn't jumping forward too much. What I'd like to say is, so it was on, um, a different uh, another podcast like a week or two ago um and there was a question what was the question oh the question was um so can you oh, i can't remember exactly what it was but it was something around uh so is is the rumor or is the sort of maybe even the adage true where um are all want are all people in wine uh pretentious and i was like uh yeah it's true <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, I was an asshole once (laughs) this this idea. And like, I mean, granted, I don't think I was an asshole, but you know, there's this, the, the not knowing enough. I think we, you know, even though we're jumping ahead a little, I think there's this, this, this idea that we'd like to talk about or, or, or bring forward that, um, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. And Mm -hmm. there's a way in which when you go through these traditional streams of education that, every it's kind of just the status quo that it's you know if you don't know I don't know I, I don't know if you can explain on that but the, but to the consumer you know you you immediately get into wine education and it seems like you should be a certain way but like we said you know you we have to remember we all started at barefoot and painted turtle <laughs> yep no I I think and correct me if I'm wrong but my uh, assumption of what you're trying to say is that we're led to believe that wine has to be discussed in a certain way, presented in a certain way, served in a certain way. Even you have to have a certain, very specific type of attire. And if you veer off that course, then you're effectively ousted as a pariah of the industry. And uh, formerly being pretentious has literally defined my identity in the wine industry where I'm like, I don't ever want to feel that way again. I don't want anyone else to ever feel that way around me. And I look at a lot of my peers and I'm like, you guys just keep perpetuating all of these myths and it's just fucking grape juice with a yeast infection. That's what it is. 
<laughs> okay, that's actually a great segue. I, 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 I'd love you to talk about a little bit. So post-education, um, sort of your journey of working in the industry. So you've left oil and gas, you've done your, or you've done education, left oil and gas in this, in this time period. You're starting to work in the industry. You realize it's a career. If you wanted to talk about just like the, whatever you'd like to talk about with sort of your journey of work starting in the industry, and then we're gonna kind of move into like where you felt the most resistance of sort of this this feeling that now feels very present around how you want to present wine and talk about wine and and the non-pretentious side of things. So just kind of your journey through work in the industry and whatever you'd like to share around either positive or resistance there. I mean, I think most of my career has been met with resistance because I, as you know, I'm an incredibly opinionated and judgmental person and <laughs> I do not mince my words. And I battled with that for a long time. I mean, I've, I've been fired from every single job I've ever had. I don't know if you knew that. I did know um, that I've, piece. I feel like you've, you've, you've mentioned it a few times, but like, I, yeah, that was like me finally just opening my kimono and dropping it to the floor and being like, bearing my soul. This is who I am. Here are my skeletons. This is who I am. And I'm unapologetically like presenting myself as such. And every job looking back, there was always resistance. Like the first wine rep job that I told you about um, post oil and gas, uh, the owner was a complete misogynist. He and I was like, what, 24 at the time. And so he um, leverage that to his advantage because I was young and malleable and easily influenced and he would tell me how to dress and oh you don't look sexy enough or I remember I showed up to a meeting one time and I'd like scrunched my hair with some gel and he was like what the fuck are you doing he's like you look terrible never wear your hair like that ever again like the, the way he treated me looking back was appalling but you, when you're in your 20s you live in such a state of fear and you don't have the confidence or the wisdom or the emotional maturity to be like you can't treat me like that um, and then it was just sort of like a series of other experiences, not like that, but other forms of abuse from just low IQ, but very high ego, like middle management that, and I would always push back and be like, no, you can't talk to me like that. No, you can't say that. No, you can't shit talk my, you know, coworkers to me behind their backs. Like I remember I had this other um, manager and I'm not going to like name names of any agencies that I've worked for. Like, I mean, no. if anybody listens to this from my past, you'll know who I'm talking about, but whatever, it doesn't matter now. Um, I had this one manager who uh, would describe other women in our company as like dressing like the Kardashians and just other really derogatory things. And I still have friends who work for her, which I find hilarious. And she very recently even i um i'm still really really good friends with one of this um these co-workers um she told me that like this woman still like had a vendetta out for me because i threatened to go to the labor board and she just like as you can imagine with people like that with like the level of ego they don't take kindly to that type of stuff because they're so unaccustomed to being taken to task and being like no that behavior is unacceptable right um and so after a series of like all of these failures um which that sounds like a bad thing but obviously it's like a good thing right it's like I said before it's it's led me to where I am now I'm really glad it all happened um I actually started a dog walking company <laughs> that's nice. when I was like okay well fuck it that didn't work out what am I gonna do now I love animals I've got the time I've got the resources um, my ex-husband um, encouraged me to do so 
and I threw up an ad on Kijiji on a whim. And then this really lovely woman named Brianna with a golden doodle named Rhubarb (laughs) hired me with absolutely no experience. And she ended up being my longest standing client. And I built a little motley crew of little stinky fluffertons and that was like one of the best times of my life. Like I remember thinking back because I was such an insecure person at the time and thinking like, oh, I should be doing so much more with my life. But I literally worked from 10 to two. I got to be outside every day, surrounded by animals, in the sunshine, exercise. It was such a beautiful time in my life. And then on evenings and weekends, because I was still drawn to wine, um, I would do wine tastings for like stagettes. And I would partner with pole dancing instructors and I would like get everybody drunk. And then the pole dancer would come and teach everybody how to like strip effectively. But I remember thinking back to that time and feeling like my wine knowledge was like almost shrinking. Like when, you know, say you speak in a second or a third language and you don't use it, you lose it. And I was like, oh, like I just, I didn't feel astute in my knowledge and So after I got divorced and then I moved back to the Okanagan, I just jumped head on into working in vineyards, cellars and managing tasting rooms. And that's when I realized like, wow, okay. Like that was like my falling off the cliff moment where I'm like, I don't know fucking anything about wine. Um, And that's when I really dug deep into the whole like natural wine um, stuff and was really, really humbled. But in the best way possible, because it was the, the push that I needed to um, just learn more and educate myself, uh, in a greater way, I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. Do you want me to keep going? And then I worked in tasting rooms and got fired from all those jobs too. Yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think I'll, I'll interject just for a second, because I think it's also an interesting, um, piece around learning about wine, right? Because we can go through our education and we can, uh, you know, do all of these things, but you can come, what I really like to, to like explain or tell people about learning about wine is that you can go through all this education and you do get out and you still literally feel like you don't know anything or you work in a winery and then you still feel like you don't know anything because the world is so vast. It's so it's vast. It's broad. Any of those, those adjectives that you'd like to use that it it's, you know, I say this all the time, but you could spend your whole life learning about wine and still feel like you don't know everything. But I just think that's an interesting piece, right? For people to realize, I like to, you know, really encourage people that it's, it's all about really how you want to learn about, it doesn't have to be one way or another way. It's this, it's really when you get into it and you start to like, I don't know, would you say, here's a question now that I say, would you say that once you got into wine, even though you experienced so many, um, so much maybe like adversity or you felt like things didn't um, really mesh with like your personality and who you were because you were so strong, you just didn't put up with the bullshit. Do you feel like there was this always still this like draw to continue in the industry? Like, what did that feel like for you? Even though you were met with all this adversity, why did you keep going? So uh, one of my longest standing friends in the industry, Owen Mitchell, he has his own agency called Plaid Cap Imports. You may have come across him. He's still in Alberta. He was my mentor for said agency with the really abusive manager. And I'll never forget, we were out doing sales calls together and I was just so distraught. I was like, oh, like it just felt like square peg round hole, just like the you know, turmoil that I was like facing 
just was palpable and it was like causing physical stress. And he just looked at me. He's like, Laura, this is not forever. He's like, you are going to go on to do like bigger and better and great things. He's like, I have absolutely no doubt. And like, there's all these little kind of like touchstones in my life that I remember looking back and those people that were so pivotal, pivotal that you didn't really like realize in the moment. Um, And I just, when you were talking about learning about wine in any which way that works for you, it made me think of um, that Erica Badu song, like on and on, like the man who knows something knows that he knows nothing at all. And like, that's what I think about all the time. Um, And it doesn't matter if it's wine or any other discipline. It's like the minute that you can admit that I don't know anything and you listen more than you speak, that's when I think the chasm really kind of widens and it's like, Oh, okay. This is really special. And like, I think that's, the biggest beef that I have with the industry is a lot of people are running around their entire career, just collecting medals and they're, you know, decorated experts and all of this bullshit. And they're not humble. They're not approachable. They're not, they don't know how to fucking talk to people. And it's like, well, we aren't even making the wine. Like we're hospitality professionals. We should like emotional intelligence should be like number one. And then the wine knowledge secondary, because you should be able to like read the room and learn that, some people don't want to talk about technical data. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, I went off on a little tangent there. No, I like it. Most people don't want to talk about tech technical data. Like it's, <laughs> it's wasted on like most people, like the there's very few who care about it. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, no, I love it. Um, I think this is a great, uh, again, like a great t- transition. So let's talk a little bit about that, you know, this experience and these feelings and then how that led to entrepreneurship. So, you know, um, yeah, how, how this led to you starting Crushable um, and or whatever it was called at the time. I mean, when I met you, it was, you still had Crushable and Silken Coop. So kind of how, how that journey was um, and that like kind of your why, like, why did you start? Why were you not besides the, the obvious of like, I can't just, I've obviously, you know, I, I don't get on with these people. I've been fired because I speak up against the bullshit, that kind of. Well, of- I was working at um, Township 7 on the Naramata bench and it was a very cushy job. It wasn't particularly busy. Um, it didn't pay all that well, but I could show up and I could, you know, pitch articles and write blog posts and sort of like, you know, quietly build my brand behind the scenes while I was getting paid but it felt very much like a gilded cage and I couldn't really figure out like how, well, how do I monetize this? Like, what is this going to look like? Like, how do I actually make this a career? Um, and then again, like I worked in a, you know, a series of different tasting rooms throughout the Okanagan and got fired from every single one of them. And then I called an emergency session with my therapist and I was like, please prescribe me like an antipsychotic or something because there's something wrong with me. Like <laughs> she was like, no, just go be a fucking entrepreneur. And like, that was like the best advice anybody has ever given me. Like, and I've never found a therapist as good as that woman. And like, maybe I'll see if she can like give me a session when I'm back home in BC for the holidays, just so I can be like, thank you. You know? Um, and then it was, when was it? I can't remember what year it was exactly. It was somewhere in between like 2016 and 2018 where uh, Glenn Fawcett, one of the founders of Black Hills, 
-hmm. he reached out to me and it was when I was like, you know, starting to like write a lot. And, um, when I got the column with Kelowna now, and I was really starting to like be unabashed in my voice. And he reached out to me when I was in Vancouver for one of the spring trade events. And he was like, Oh, I'd love to take you for lunch. And I was like, okay, sure. And like, I didn't really have a relationship with him, but I was like, sure. Like any opportunity is, you know, has potential. And so we sat down and he was like, you need to monetize what all of your recommendations. He's like, you are on the path of becoming like a tastemaker and like everything that you're saying is so on point. He's like, find a way to monetize this. And so he pretty much gave me the idea to start like Crushable Wine Club that I didn't end up going on to start until much later. I actually started the tasting experiences before. Um, but I thought that that was such a vote of confidence from, I, I don't know what I would call him. I guess he's prolific. I don't know that I would call him a, a leader, but I mean, he's well known in the industry. So for someone to like reach out and just be like, you need to go and do this um, was really flattering, I suppose. Um, and then it was when I moved to Toronto um, that I came up with the idea for the tasting experience because a couple of years prior I had been in Oregon and went on a little solo trip and it was just myself and this one other guy. He had a little wine bar and he also made his own wine label and he poured me through all of these very obscure varieties that I'd never even heard of before. And I went in thinking like, Oh, okay, it's the Willamette. It's going to be like Pinot Gris and Pinot Noir. And I was completely stumped. I was like, wow, this guy totally humbled me. And so when, when I moved to Toronto, I was like, that's a really, really good idea. Like, there's nothing like this that exists. And so that's what I did. And yeah, I haven't looked back since. So, and as you know, there have been many iterations since, like from the humble beginnings of starting the tastings in my apartment, which seems so insane now looking back, all the crazy shit that's happened with <laughs> literal strangers coming into my house and then getting drunk. Like, what was I thinking? But... <laughs> Okay, yeah. So those, for those of you who don't know, Laura started her tasting um, events or or her tastings in her apartment in Toronto before. Well, and if and anyone can relate, it's you. Yeah, I know. I know. I also and it's yeah, it's funny. Um, yeah, I mean, I also started like little tastings with like a dinner component at at my house. To it, I think it's. I mean, we've talked about this too, but we'll share it like publicly. Is like it's a great way to start just getting people into what you're doing without having like a really big financial commitment to a studio or a rental. And, and it's actually really beautiful at the beginning. Yeah. I think, I think you have to evolve beyond it because you can only go so far, but it's really, there's nothing like inviting people into your home and having that intimate time. Well, it, it really disarms them and it attracts the exact type of ideal client. Like it's not intended to be for everybody. And even now that I'm in my like second studio, um, I still get people being like, oh, we've like, we've got to like find more marketability and scalability. And like, we got to get you on TikTok. And I'm like, no, I don't want to be. Yeah. I don't want to do tastings for TikTokers. I will, I would punch them in the face, like, and all <laughs> this effort and beautiful wine would be lost. Yes. So I'm not trying to appeal to the mainstream either. So yes. No, I love that. Okay, so I want to get back to that, but let I want let's talk a little bit about besides what may be obvious from you know your experience, you know living in the Okanagan, your experience um, living in Canada with one. Why Canadian wine? And then we'll kind of go back to where you're moving with your business and because I think 
Canada is really lost. I don't think that we know what our identity is anymore. There, there really isn't any tether to any sort of tradition or culture um, or any type of like tapestry, like food, what, what, t- like poutine, like, and, and I ask every single person who comes through my tasting, like, what does it mean to be Canadian? And nobody can tell me it's not diversity mm-hmm. because w- what does that mean? Okay. Well, that's great. Like, yeah. Okay. We have a, what is it called? A melting pot or a mosaic? I, I can't remember which one we are. I think we're a melting pot. I think it's maybe... the melting pot. Well, I mean, we used to be, but it's kind right. of like looking more like a mosaic now, but um, right. that's, and that's, I will not be getting into my political opinions. That's why we can save that for another one. Wine and politics. Another day. Yeah. After I've guzzled a bottle of wine. Yeah. I really feel. Um, and I just, I think that as a country and like as citizens, we, there is a palpable inferiority complex. Um, that I really came across in a very strong way, especially in Toronto, Um, you know, the jokes of like it being the center of the universe. Well, it is that way because people are incredibly insecure here because they are often compared to Chicago and New York City and it's nothing like any of those places. It's like, no, we have our own unique identity here, but nobody can really define what it is and we're too busy trying to one-up other places or each other or trying to be something that we're not. Um, Like, when you ask people about Toronto they're like they think of like Drake and I'm like I'm sorry that just that's embarrassing so I took it upon myself to to be challenged and be like okay maybe I can find out what that means and it's it's led me in a lot of um diverse directions I've met a ton of amazing artisans and cheesemakers and um butchers winemakers obviously bakeries um and i'm really trying to show people that we make a lot of beautiful stuff here in canada too we don't have to outsource everything um and we don't really live seasonally we don't really live locally we're just trying to emulate other places and i think that that's reflective of a young culture but i think we it's time that we kind of move past that and really go back to our roots of i don't know maybe maybe canadiana is like like my boyfriend and i andreas last night we were talking about how they're it's like Canada is a little bit towny it's like maybe we need to like kind of embrace that again and that neighborliness and the friendliness and but like where else does it extend to and like what does that mean exactly and you know finding the balsamic vinegar from Venturi Schultz on Vancouver Island that is some of the most beautiful balsamic vinegar I've ever tasted and you would never think that it came from Canada and it's like why does that statement even exist? You'd never think that it would come from Canada. Like there's just this, we're the underdog and I'm, I've, I'm all, I've always been one to root for the underdog. And so I guess maybe that's what I've sort of crafted my business model around, which probably sounds terrible from a lucrative perspective, but I'm very much about lifestyle. So, yeah. Well, and I think it has something, I think it says, so I have a few thoughts around that. I think it, first of all, I think it has something to, it, it, it says something about the entrepreneur, right? When you really feel like you've had, you had this person tell you, you know, you should re- like, it, it was the best advice you ever got. And I think there's something about entrepreneurship where, you know, we, we actually like the challenge, the point of going and doing something 
yourself is because you're doing it in a different way, right? Like I'm just not yeah. following what people are doing. And so I think it speaks to just like the voice of the entrepreneur around like, it's like often it just doesn't make sense to most people or maybe it doesn't even make sense to us. Like, yeah, it's not the most, like, it's not, it's never an easy path. It's always paving a new way. So I think it speaks to that. And then the other question I had in that was, um, so what, so do you see Canadian wine having any kind of identity? Like if we just kind of go, so, you know, Canada doesn't really, we don't really feel like you're the people who come into your tasting room don't really feel like Canada has this identity or, or we really know what we're about. What, do, how does, how do you see that in the wine industry? Do you think it's the same? How do you see it like currently slash in the past, I don't know, five, 10 years, 15 years that you've been in wine specifically? I mean, I think you obviously know this. Um, it's just lack of access, of course. And it really became apparent when I moved to Ontario um, that literally every single province, save for Alberta, is run by a monopoly. Um, so there's that, which effectively breeds the fragmentation. Um, so it's it's not really the fault of the consumer. Um, Ontarians are probably some of the most ignorant that I've ever encountered with respect to Canadian wine because they're just conditioned by way of the monopoly here to purchase you know wines akin to painted turtle and apothic and the like and i i'm always surprising people they come in it's and it's always people from ontario that are like "Ooh, i hate canadian wine this is trash and then as soon as i give them the opportunity to try traditional method bubbles from nova scotia uh pinot noir from vancouver island syrah from the south okanagan Cab Franc and Gamay from Niagara. They're like, holy fuck. Like, I had no idea. Hybrids from Quebec. Like, cider. Like, there's so many yeah. exciting categories. Yeah, like, that's literally how you and I met, like, over over Instagram. Um, and so I really think it's such a shame that... And I mean, I get these emails every day. I got some today, like, oh, my husband likes big, bold reds. Well, that's good for him, but... <laughs> save for like a couple little micro pockets in our country that's not where we shine and so you just have to get liquid to lips and like um peter gamble who's like literally one of the founding members of like the vqa and his wife is ann sperling formerly of uh both southbrook and sperling because they sold recently um but they're literally some of the pioneers of the canadian wine industry i had the chance to sit down and taste with them recently and I was like how do you change minds because I feel like the snobbery is like worse than ever and he was like you have to blind taste people just mm. don't even tell them what it is um and so that's what I do like people come in knowing that it's Canadian wine but they don't know what they're getting and sometimes they'll be like oh I only drink white or I only drink red or whatever and I'm like well then this is not the forum for you go to a wine bar where you can request exactly what you want like that is not what this exercise is and every single time, I've never had one person being like, oh, I'm really mad that you forced me to try this. They're always like, wow, that was like really unique and interesting. I've never tasted a wine like this before. Um, stuff like from Pearl Morissette, where, I, and I mean, I hate to use this term because it's so overused, like funky, but people become acclimated to like what funkiness even means. And then you can explain to them like, this is why it's a little bit feral or like kind of smells like you know, manure or like horse saddle. These are all the reasons why. And it's like people usually equate those styles with, you know, that of the old world. But it's like we're making some pretty special stuff here in Canada, too. And I preface that by saying I understand that there isn't a long list of Canadian wineries that are making 
quality to that level, but I can still be a champion and help us like usher into another echelon because if we're not the champions and ambassadors of Canadian wine, then who else is going to be? Certainly not going to be people overseas. They can't even get the damn stuff. And if they can, they're paying obscene amounts of money for it. So I'm sorry. I don't even know what your question was. That's anymore. okay. No, 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 no. I like it. No, it's all good. Um, it doesn't, doesn't have to follow my question. Exact. That answered it for sure. Um, I think that, I think, yeah, one of the biggest things, access, right? Like that I, part of the reason or a big part of the reason is, you know, as you pointed out was we don't even have proper access across provinces, let alone internationally for people to understand what, you know, besides the maybe Benjamin Bridges who are going to some like international wine shows or, you know, those, those, those big wineries, like nobody really knows people have yeah. what is available is so, you know, even here in Saskatchewan, it's like, people you know there's we have a few producers but people ask me like all the time like well oh if I go to this store what Canadian wine can I buy and like out of the let's say 20 decent stores here there's probably one I can send you with three good examples and they're still not amazing yeah so it's yeah it's 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 really hard even as like you know as a wine professional in you know well for me now being in Saskatchewan it's, it's pretty dire what you can get from a retail perspective. So mm -hmm. I think it's just, and, you know, and through, you know, knowing you and, you know, ordering through you. Um, and of course, like being a wine professional, I've traveled to, the, you know, I understand what's, what's being made or I have access because I've gone to a wine show or something, but I just think it's, it's so, yeah, it's so underrepresented even across our country and, and, it, that really is political. <laughs> and yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think that, you know, there's a lot of people like um, John Skinner of Painted Rock. He um, has done endless amounts of work trying to get international representation and that's all well and good. But at the same time, I think that's a little bit cart before the horse. It's like, why don't we like sort of tend to our own garden first and get Canadians on board with respect to Canadian wine and just squash all these petty protectionist like rivalries that are just like rooted in retribution and it's just it's so archaic like I did a little deep dive into just the LCBO monopoly and it stems all the way back to prohibition like yeah. the business model is still rooted in a shame-based model and like that's 1927 that's almost a hundred years ago why have things not evolved more beyond where we're at right now like no let's legalize weed first <laughs> like no <laughs> let's not go private and have open borders so that like canadians can support canadian wineries no let's legalize weed instead like oh it's so stupid uh, yes okay agreed so if Okay, so what from okay, because I like I picture like obviously I I don't I mean we don't know who's listening to this, but like people who are listening to this who are like, well, hold on, I'm in the wine industry and we are champion Canadian Canadian wine, or we are doing the like I just picture these like uh, you know, when you see not just you or me, but anybody saying these things is like, what do you think? And this is maybe a big question. You don't have to feel like you have to like have an answer that you stick by forever. But at this point in time, is there, um, what do you think is the, the biggest next step slash steps, um, for Canadian wine, like 
as people in the industry, like what can we do beyond like political things? I mean, okay, well, I am going to say one political thing. And I said this to a vineyard owner the other day who was bitching and moaning to me and it's obscene what they're put through. We have to band together as a collective and lobby so that legislatively things actually change. And like here during COVID was the perfect example. Restaurants were closed for close to two years and everybody stood together and we were able to legalize restaurants operating as bottle shops and not just like part-time, but permanently. So it's like, why is that not an example for people that like the government works for us, not the other way around. But um, in absence of, you know, a lack of division, which I know is a very utopian fallacy, um, you just have to go small and get people at your table, break bread and just get them tasting it. And not the fucking snobby burgundy bros who want to wave their dicks around and be like, oh, this is my vertical of Uber Lamy from Saint-Aubin. <laughs> Nothing like that. Like the fucking consumers that are like interested and curious and want to actually learn and like seek people like myself out who like find me on Google or Instagram. And they're like, wow, that's really cool. I want to learn more. I had no idea. And they want to nerd out with you. And it can't be large scale tasting events where there's thousands of people in a room and it's just these, you know, ships sailing by one another and people just getting shit faced. It's like, no, you have to actually form a connection and make an impact. And that's why I've, it's going on five years now that I've been doing my tastings that, and my, my perfect kind of sweet spot is like four to six people even two preferably. And like, that's why my rates are so high because I have to sort of make margin in a way. Um, but that's how you change minds. It's not being like, oh, come to the Grape Escape sponsored by co-op and taste 97 different wines tonight and then puke in a garbage can. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And I did that oh, many too. times in Calgary. <laughs> I don't think I puked, puked in the garbage can. I'm sure I puked later, but I've done it. Oh, yeah. Just huge wine shows. Oh, yeah. BC Wine Fest all the time. Just wrecked. <laughs> yeah, like Vancouver International Wine Festival. Like, I mean, I I don't know if, if we were chatting at this point in time, but like right before COVID, I was still running this conference that I started called the Sensory Sins Symposium. And the I whole remember- intention... Pardon? Sorry. No, no, no. I didn't mean to... But I remember you... It, we had like just kind of we didn't really tell people except people can know now we met on instagram and we can tell the story later but um i remember you still had the sensory symposium and it was just but it was like the last one or two i think yeah yeah and i i wanted it to be lateral like i i don't like yeah we had panels and everything but i also invited maybe people that wouldn't normally be invited to speak on a panel and the last one i did and i've since just retired the whole brand but it was 40 people in a room and it was a conversation versus experts speaking at one another it wasn't like a one way transaction it was like no everybody has a say here everybody has a different angle a different lens that they're looking at the wine industry from and there were a lot of people that just you know, shit all over Canadian wine. And then I'm like, what the fuck are you doing here? And I'm thinking of a few names and I'm not going to say them, obviously. I mean, I would love to, but I don't want to be that crass. And there were others that were so thankful and grateful that I had actually taken it upon myself to host 
a small intimate event that featured exclusively wines from Vancouver Island. And I did it purely because I was a total neophyte. I didn't know anything about Vancouver Island. And I was like, I need to educate myself. And the eye rolls that it elicited from industry professionals, I was like, this is like a half an hour ferry ride away from you. And you don't know anything about this region. Like that is a problem. And at the time, I didn't know anything about like Avril Creek or like literally none of the wineries. I didn't know a thing. And I got Brent Rowland's name wrong. I thought his name was Brent Avril. And then he told me like years later, he was like, yeah, he's like, I was this close to not coming because like you had no idea who I was. But I think that gave me the benefit and leverage because I wasn't worshiping and like genuflecting. I was like, I don't know who the fuck you are, bro. Just come and talk about the wine that you make. I don't give a shit if you're like a celebrity or that like you used to work at Christom or Pearl set. That doesn't matter to me. Come and be a champion for your region. That's what I care about, you know? Um, and so that's what I want to start doing again. Um, I want to host salons and like cap it at like 20, 25, maybe 30 people and just put people in a fucking circle. And like you can buy a ticket and I'll have like, you know, a select few. And I don't like even using the term expert, but even like people like yourself and come and just like share what you know, because everybody has something to say. I love it. So just to just quickly, because we were talking about it, just like what was Sensory Symposium so people know what you're talking about? Oh, um, yeah. So it was a conference that I started with two uh colleagues in Kelowna on the first one we hosted at Okanagan College in Penticton and it's really again like funny looking back on the topics of conversation that I chose one was women and wine one was natural wine and then I don't even remember the other one it, like they were so on the nose and you know I guess of the now but now I would never pick topics like that I would pick something far more controversial yeah <laughs> that, like I want I, I want people to be like uncomfortable and like shifting in their seats you know it's like oh yes oh woe is us and our little lady brains and oh how we how we've overcome all the obstacles with our little vaginas and like it was just like ugh, I cringe at that but yeah. you you have to start somewhere so um yeah yeah no, I feel like we all we all started there, right? Because it's like, what what is of interest to us? What is of interest to other people potentially like me, um, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, um, we all evolve, but. Exactly. Yes. Okay, well, let's, let's digress a little bit from there. We, we can go back, but let's talk a little bit about, so you've talked a little bit about what you do now, where, where and with so salons is there any anywhere else with your business you're looking to move your things you're looking to challenge in the industry um yeah what's 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 upcoming for crushable besides well, t well also we need to talk we need to tell people like about anyways how to find you how to get on your list how to become a concierge member etc but let's talk about you know you're doing um, your private tastings, of course, you're running your wine club. And then is there anything kind of upcoming things besides like these salons, or you can talk about the salon a little bit more, um, what you'd like to move and do and shake up in the industry? Um, well, I mean, moving to Toronto was hugely transformative and I didn't even realize the impact that it was going to have at the time. Um, and my now former business partner, um, who I've since cut ties with, uh, just cause he, 
hates Canadian wine. That's literally what he said. He's like, I can't in good conscience remain your partner because I hate Canadian wine. I'm like, okay, thank you for the transparency. Um, but we still keep in touch. And uh, he was like, moving to Toronto was such a great move um, in terms of like strategy. It it really kind of gave me reach and spread like from coast to coast. And I've been able to build relationships like throughout Ontario, throughout Nova Scotia, Quebec even, even though I haven't even been there. It just, I'm kind of like on the map as a, Canadian cheerleader and I would love to just continue to like double down on that and um, I think this is like long long term but like a book is definitely something that I see myself doing and not not like maybe like an Oxford companion to wine Canada version but more oh I can't even believe I'm gonna say this this is the first name that popped into my head but like do you remember that book that Natalie McLean wrote like red white and drunk all over Yes, I don't own it, but I know what you're talking about. Okay, well, it was it was just sort of like a really funny kind of like tell all of some of her experiences. Um, something probably along those lines. Um, and yeah, like moving to Toronto, it was really hard. It was I was not prepared for the level of vitriol and the nastiness that exists in this city and the cliques and the division. It, it was. It, it that that didn't exist to that degree in like the Okanagan or even Alberta. It was it seemed very kind of amateur, like Mickey Mouse compared to like the goings on here. Um, the ego is is pretty robust, um, and that taught me to just have like an incredibly thick skin and to just keep going. And so, I'm just going to keep dialing it up and um, kind of like going back to what I was saying before about like how I, uh, had gone to my therapist for an emergency session where I thought like, oh, I should just like turn down my personality. It's like, no, I'm turning it up, but I'm turning it up in like an eloquent and mature way where I'm, it's not shrill and it's not snarky. It's intelligent and it's sophisticated and people listen when it's all about the delivery of the message. And so I just, I want to expose more people to Canadian wine um, and continue to grow my brand. And I don't care about garnering access internationally. There are so many untapped markets in Ontario alone, mm. let alone Canada. So we, we need to be just like shouting from the rooftops about like how amazing Canadian wine is and get more people involved, like get more people in like Manitoba drinking Canadian wine, you know, like... <laughs> and there's a thriving little wine community and culture in Winnipeg like there's some great little stores there like there are people out there who are like doing what I'm doing like they're in the trenches they're like fighting the good fight but it's it's hard because like there's some snobs in this industry man like wow they're like I I think I I I don't know um how often like you read my emails in my newsletter but I met some restaurateurs here who were like, yeah, we don't have Canadian wine on our list because it cheapens our brand. I'm like, how can you say that? That would be like going to Burgundy and having not one Burgundian wine on your list in a restaurant. That would be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Like, but it's just accepted here as the norm. It, it is. Yeah. All I, I mean, all of the provinces I've been to. <laughs> It's, it's so like, fucked up and like yeah. <laughs> I've been I, I pour cider yeah. all the time and people are like oh gross cider and all they think of is growers and I'm like no it's older than wine as a category and we grow apples and pears and 
orchard fruit and tree fruit so fucking effortlessly and we can make outstanding examples and nobody fucking knows about it no it's crazy to me i know i know okay and it's so oh. versatile too it oh man i know i'm like obsessed i just found this random nomad cider and uh, oh that's such a good producer oh my gosh in p in prince albert saskatchewan which is like no offense if you live in prince albert but um <laughs> it's like almost like an hour and a half north of Saskatoon and it's a city but it's like that's one really great liquor store there we also found like a bunch of anyways I I, I digress I don't need are to... you talking about like Nomad from the Okanagan yeah 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 I found these oh this Nomad Perry there randomly and I'm like I I'm I'm gonna go buy them out next time I go up there because it's just absolutely incredible oh good what a random store to find representation of cider from the Okanagan in Saskatchewan that's weird I know I know I know the the manager person who orders there just like knows her shit and it's just like great so good for her yeah him <laughs> oh him sorry <laughs> it doesn't really matter I didn't say um okay uh why don't you tell us more about your tasting experiences and then also your wine club and then let's talk about what we're drinking okay, okay um so like, how can people find you what do you do all all of that piece how can people connect with you do you want me to say that first yeah oh okay so i'm across well not all channels i've tried to be on twitter a million times and i just i'm not a twitter person x whatever it's too chaotic for me instagram is like my main kind of hub and so it's crushable wine club same with uh my website it's crushable.club and uh yeah like basically if you just google crushable wine club um, I will pop up and um, yeah, so I operate as a wine club. So I, I, I'm still doing what I started doing. Um, I launched in uh, the pandemic. So fall of 2020, I guess. Yeah. And um, every month I feature a different Canadian producer and so many people warned me, they're like, you're going to run out. It's a small industry and I haven't run out yet. Um, there's so many little garagists and little side projects and uh, an area that really fascinates me, um, I guess, because I'm like, I don't know, a little bit of an anarchist in some ways. Um, I love finding people that like are not VQA registered. Maybe they don't even have like a liquor license. Um, and then I just sort of like run it through my channels and you can only buy it through me. Um, that really excites me because the amount of like experimentation and innovation that can happen is vast as you can imagine um and I've just been like recently like reconnecting with people that maybe I thought I was like on the outs with like Anthony Buchanan is a great example I'm about to like launch a an offer with him tomorrow we had kind of a little Facebook war going back a few years where I hadn't included him in this low intervention guide that I had launched and so I just, I didn't support him for like years. And I was like, oh, that fucking guy. And then just, I don't know, time heals all wounds. And he reached out and was like, hey, would you love to work together? And I was like, yeah, you know what? Why not? And he sent me his wines. And I was really impressed with how far he'd come and how much he'd improved. And I was like, hey, can I tell this story about how we had like this like little petty culture war? And he was like, absolutely. He's like, I would be remiss if you didn't mention it because otherwise I'm operating from a standpoint of like too much ego. So 
Um, being as small as I am, it gives me the ability to focus on like these tiny little producers. And he's actually scaled back production about like 60%. So he's already tiny um, from a standpoint of like a thousand cases per year. And he's scaling back to like 500 so that he can focus more on like his family. And I really applaud that. So that's really what I, what kind of like gets my gears going is, is projects like that. But obviously those are not abundant. Um, and so I sort of, um, and envelop those with, you know, other big brands like Black Hills that maybe I wouldn't have supported like years ago, but I really try to um, decide for myself and not generalize and, you know, taste and focus on like the winemaker and the style and stuff like that. So, yeah. Nice. Should oh. I talk about my tasting experience? Yeah, or? yeah, 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 yeah. Tell, yeah, yeah. What, like, what, oh. like, what is it like? What do you, yeah, I mean, you talked, you, you definitely like talked a little bit about it, but like, how would people find you if they wanted to come? And then like, what does that look like? Yeah, so I actually got my start on Airbnb experiences, which um, I didn't even realize at the time when I created a profile was just on the precipice of being like something really big. And now like experiences alone are like just an industry unto itself. Um, so I'm listed on so many different websites like TripAdvisor, um, Eventbrite, Get Your Guide, open table and I have been approached by endless startups that want a piece of this pie oh sorry someone's calling me I don't know I'll just ignore <laughs> it um and I didn't even really know what the hell I was doing when I started like I was just like I had recently gone to Portland like I said and I was like that was really cool but I didn't know that it would like morph into like what it has since become. I thought it was just going to be like all about the wine and just, you know, trying to expose people. And it's since become this whole other beast where it's really changed me as a person. Ooh. Like it's, it's really humbled me and I've become a much better conversationalist and listener and people will cry and they tell me their life stories. And like, of course, like the, the wine is a little bit of a lubricant. So I have a bit of an upper hand, but um, it's, it's truly fascinating. And it, because it's in such an intimate capacity, and I think it was also motivated by so many tasting room experiences, both as a consumer, but also on the other side of the tasting bar where it's so choreographed and scripted and robotic and it's timed. And it's like, okay, we have seven minutes to pour you seven wines and, oh, and now would you like to join our wine club? Sign at the dotted line. Like it just, I always hated that. And my most favorite interactions were with people where it would, you know, go on for like an hour, hour and a half. And like, they wouldn't want to leave. And like, we're really connecting on like this deep level. And so that's what I wanted to emulate. And now I have the ability to do that. And so I did that out of my apartment for, almost four years, which is crazy. And then I was served a cease and desist by my condo board because they found out. <laughs> the universe always, you know, serves serves you the humble pie that you need. You're like, okay, I'm going to move on. And then so I found a space uh, through a friend of a friend, which was on the second floor of a dispensary. And it was like this beautiful little cozy room tucked away. So it was very like speakeasy, like clandestine vibes and people fucking loved it. They were like, oh my God, I have to like walk through a pot shop to like find this tasting room. Like, this is so cool. Um, but then the owners ended up renting out another portion of the building to an illegal um, hallucinogenic mushroom operation. And then so they got shut down. And then as such, I got kicked out too. 
So I've since moved to a new studio elsewhere and it's in a former artist studio. Um, and it's cool, but I don't know that I necessarily like see myself there long-term. So I'm on the hunt currently trying to scout new opportunities and new spaces where I can expand into so that I can host, you know, the salons that I had mentioned. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I know I haven't been at the new artist studio, but the last one I can say I was there this, this past September, it was absolutely lovely. And what you've done with the new one is so cute and cozy. It's, it's, it's really, Thanks. Special. it's really special. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, and one other thing I wanted to talk about was this, how do I articulate this exactly? This idea of how you think, mm, okay, wow. Uh, this idea of hospitality and, and wine knowledge, like do, what, what is the, and not that it has to be a wine knowledge, right? Because it's not about, I think what I love about what you're doing and what you do, uh, and it's something, you know, I think that you and I connect on to a big point, And this is why I wanted to talk about it. This is this idea of like, hospitality and sharing wine being sort of the most important thing over the knowledge of the wine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that notion scares people though, because they conflate that with not knowing, but it's about being able to read the room and understanding when you should withhold. It's right. not that anybody is discounting or diminishing your knowledge. Mm -hmm. It, it comes from a place of confidence where you're like, I don't need to flex. It's not about that. And this is going to serve me in a much more significant way if I hold back and I don't speak over someone and then watch their eyes glaze over. And I find I see so many of my industry counterparts doing that where they need everybody to know that I was the top sommelier of this and I'm the Michelin awarded this and I've got this medal and they don't know how to talk to people. And I'm like, but what's the point? The end game is so that you show people a good time. Like you can save the technical regurgitation for your tasting group or with your mentor or in your journal or your tasting notebook or whatever the fuck it is. Like, and if there are a group of people that are interested and in, yeah, every now and again, I will get like a nerdy crew of people that want to know and they ask a million questions and we just have a heyday. Um, but if people don't want to know, then don't give them something that they never asked for. Because I think so many people are really just, people are really just looking for, I, you know, when, if we go back to the beginning and we go back to talking about, you know, you know, how you got into wine, this idea of, and like all of these themes of like travel and culture and intrigue around this thing, this, this like almost living thing is like, people are also just starting there. Like they're just starting with this intrigue around what this is and they really just don't need to be met by pretension because it really doesn't do anything except scare them away. And so this is what I really admire in you and what I really want to talk about was this idea that like hospital like hospitality in its in its best form really is just sharing. And yet, you know, you have so much knowledge you, you, you can add so much like really like this psychological richness in a way, like if I could say it like that to the experience, but that it's really about sharing wine. And I think, you know, something you and I, I think share like maybe philosophically around that. And, and 
it's I just like I feel like I say it all the time and it's so good for me to you know I mean you and I can chat about this all day long on our own but Mm -hmm. like to share it publicly is that like there's other people so I wanted to highlight you there's other people doing really like really amazing connection with people and talking about wine and so I mean all that to say is just like I've you know I've always admired you in that and I think it's really lovely and I just really I just like really want people to know that and that like we're not all out here trying to preach Bordeaux futures like yes yes 100% (laughs) probably don't even know what that is and that's good we don't need to tell you because it's boring (laughs) it's boring (laughs) yep well and I mean I'm sure you do this too where you compare yourself and I used to be really bad about it when I was younger and now I'm like no I, I stay focused and I stay in my lane but like Every now and again, I'll come across an article or like, I'll see like William Kelly's posts commenting on, I don't know, Lutraisonne or something like whatever the fuck he talks about with his little like English chortle. And like, he's a really intelligent man, but he's so technical and I find him to be so dry. And I'm just like, that's just not who I am. Like, I don't need to emulate what anybody else is doing. I just need to be me. That's it. And I know I, I know I know my shit. And I think there's just this there's something really beautiful about being just quietly like humble and not needing to be like, I know shit. Hey, everybody, look at how much I know. It's like, well, if they want to know, they'll find that out. And it's about that whole like showing and not telling. So many people just like need to tell everybody. And it's just like, uh, that detracts from like what makes you special, you know? Ooh, so. I like that. That's like show, not tell. <laughs> I like mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. it- so it's that's like a good little piece of wisdom I like it I actually just wrote it down in my little notebook beside me um <laughs> well uh, and, and it kind of ties into like you what was that post that you did recently where it was like don't be afraid to like ask or something or like just embrace the journey of discovery or like it was yeah. something along those lines or something it's like if you don't know go and find out or something like that yeah, it was like, it's this idea. Oh, it was curiosity. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. The, energy, the energy of curiosity. And I've actually been like obsessed. I've been obsessed with this idea of the energy of curiosity and not only just in wine, but it translates to like all points of your life is this just this idea that like we get, it's so like learning, not learning about or experiencing anything, whether it's like wine or food or I don't know, interior design. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up, but like, it's all about how you approach it. And, and the, the, when you're curious about something, then you actually become open to it, I guess, is this idea. It's like this open mind. It's curious. And like, when you approach things with, this idea of like frustration or like oh I don't know anything and it's it's unfortunate because like so many people in the industry have made people feel this way is that like you don't know anything you don't but it's just like but it's just wine like you said at the beginning right yeah <laughs> it's just grape juice with an infection I think that's what you said right like an infection, yeah. infection it's just wine and yes there's lots to know but it's way more exciting than it is frustrating like we just need to dispel the idea that like I think the biggest thing is that people feel like they have to know everything to know something yeah and what other discipline do we have that do we put that expectation on people you don't go to the dentist being expected to know how to perform a root canal why do we have this expectation of people that you should know everything about wine like it's absurd 
And it's like, it's also like, like you go to the grocery store and it's like, well, I just know I like pink lady apples. You don't have to know what that means. You just know you like it. And like, I don't think that's, I don't know why that example popped into my head, but just this idea, you're like, yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to know everything about what you like. You just explore it to whatever, I don't know, level, level's a dumb word, but whatever you'd like to experience it as. So I I think it, I think psychological is is a big key in this it's um the openness and the willingness to not only be wrong but not rely on hearsay or generalizations and it just yeah you're just open and so few people are like that I find where they're like they're just prodding along through life by way of their convictions and it's like well nobody said that you had to remain steadfast like the only constant in life is change like so why not embrace that so, and then, that, then that's when it gets really beautiful and you're like, damn, like, and then you can really read people. You're like, wow. So everybody's just like going through life, like scared, anxious, fearful, worried. And then if you like learn how to disarm them and make them feel comfortable and like so many times, and like, this is not me like tooting my own horn, but it's happened again and again and again and again when I'm like doing these tastings. And of course, like alcohol, like I said, is also like the connector and the, and like the lubricant. They're like, oh my God, like. I've never told anybody this before, or like, I feel like I'm in a therapy session. And like, maybe that's not a vote of confidence for me that might deter, <laughs> that might deter some people. But um, it also made me sad too. Like when a number of people have said that to me, because I'm like, you're really lacking connection in your life. If you're telling me things that you've never told anybody else before, like, I, I don't know, it's just... I, I'm really proud that I've like honed this skill because I think it supersedes any of my wine knowledge to like such a degree in oh. such a big way. Um, Cause it's like, yeah, I can know all about every fucking soil type and you know, the, the glaciers that used to exist and where they um, their formations and you know, the, the tribes that like used to live on these areas and like all of this type of stuff. But if there isn't some sort of connection with the person that you're sharing these stories with, like, then what's the point? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, I think that's, so we're both drinking some wine. Tell us, tell us about what you're drinking. <laughs> so I'm actually drinking um, a concierge selection. So that's another kind of arm of my wine club. So it's, for the more serious wine buyer where they can kind of like reach out and have me find special things or put together special packs for them and stuff. Um, and so I'm drinking a Spanish field blend um, and it's kind of located where the um, Ribera, like the D- Ribera del Duero, like the Duero river, like actually turns into the Duro river, like in Portugal. And it's this like wild, crazy field blend of like, 11 different Spanish varieties that I've never even heard of before. And it's like, it's so plush and like lively and high tone red fruit, very low tannin. And it's, I'm halfway through the bottle. (laughs) It's like so easy to drink. So (laughs) I love it. Okay. So explain field blend for somebody who's like, what the fuck is a field blend? Um, okay, so it can have a couple of different meanings, actually. So in vineyards, like obviously, um, grapes can mutate and take on like different forms and DNA and all of this type of stuff. And so like they can, um, you can harvest all of that fruit and then like ferment it together 
or you can have like a vineyard planted to all kinds of different varieties and what vineyards will usually do now or wineries i should say they'll ferment everything separately taste it and then blend based on different proportion um, to their palate which they think will be like you know the most consumer driven whereas in this case they just pick everything together and then they ferment it all together and there's all kinds of like really fun stuff that could happen like if there are some white varieties that could like intensify color with like you know the anthocyanin compounds and like all of that type of stuff um it just creates an, a totally different beast than it would have had you separated all of the um, components. So it's like, it's um, better as like the sum of its parts essentially. And it's a very ancestral um, old school way of making wine. It just, it's, um, I think it's like, it's really, it's how wine is meant to be made. And like, obviously this is like very, very opinion driven, but like, it's so delicious and like supple and like light on its feet. Like, I, I mean, obviously I would have to like talk to the winemaker and look at their labs and be like, did you battle with like tannin extraction and all this type of stuff? But it's so easy drinking and delicious. I'm just really enjoying it. So, yeah. Okay. Well take a, I mean, just for, we can talk about this, after, but take a, take a photo of it so I can uh, just share a photo. Even mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, so people can know. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you can a photo. Can people still yeah. get that specific wine through Concierge if they are? Is it still available? Uh, I'm not sure. I'll get back to you on that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. We can add it into the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tell us what you're drinking. Okay, I'm drinking one of your selections. So um, I am drinking the Sebastien Laurent uh, carbonic Cab Franc. You can tell me more about it, but, um, I will, I've ordered it. I ordered this and it was the Riesling, right? It was the Riesling that he offered. Yes. Like, yes. I mean, I could talk about like the wine and what carbonic, but you, you tell me about the Sebastian Laurent, the, um, offering you did. It was his last, it was his last, um, offering of his own label before he went to Lightning Rock, correct? Yeah. So he's, um, Talk about sleeper head or underdog of the industry. So Seb worked at, and he's like one of my dear, dear friends. I'm like seeing him when I go home at Christmas. Um, he worked at a now defunct winery called Rigo Bambino. That was like the proto cancelled before, you know, cancellation became very commonplace. Oh, man. And so he kind of suffered the consequences of the very, you know, vitriolic and tyrannical owner that said some pretty nasty shit that he never should have said. And then Seb kind of suffered the consequences of this. So then he then had to go take on a job elsewhere. So he worked temporarily in the Thompson Valley at a winery called uh, Harper's Trail. Um, he's a big, you know, sustainability, organic viticulture guy, like low intervention, but he's not dogmatic. He's like very pragmatic in his approach. So if he needs to go in and correct for something, he will. And he's not afraid to share. Whereas I find a lot of people in the Azure community really refrain from being honest about like oh I had to like you know make this nutrient ad or I had to like inoculate or I had to like run it through an RO because it had a lot of VA or something um sorry that probably got like way too technical there for a minute but <laughs> okay um anyways so then he uh has since left Harper's Trail and now he's at uh another winery called Lightning Rock in Summerland but throughout it all he's always had this side label called Sebastian Laurent which is a play on the uh, Austrian variety Saint Laurent 
And he just does these really fun, playful, he loves carbonic maceration, which like results in these like really fruity, bubblegummy, juicy, just very low alcohol. And even sometimes like low acid wines as well. Like there was one that he did, um, a Merlot that was also carbonic that I called a hot tub wine. I was like, chill it down ice cold and you can guzzle that in the hot tub like nobody's business because like when you think about like low acid it's not um it's like really high ph so it's like alkaline right so it's like very soft and like if you think about like um you know when people add what do they do they like soften their showers you yeah talking about? Like with like salts and stuff I yes think. it's the Water. same with wine so with when it's like very alkaline like high ph that's what it tastes like. It's very supple and like soft on your palate. And so that's what that wine was, this carbonic Merlot. It was like, unlike anything that I'd ever tried before, I was like, what the fuck is this? And so he's just sort of this very, he has a cult-like following very quietly in the industry. And he's just this like super low-key Quebecois, like bro. He's just, he's great. Have you ever met him? No, no, I haven't ever. Oh, he's the best. He's just, he's so fucking down to earth. I just love him. So is the wine, are you, tell us about the wine. Are you enjoying it? But yeah, I am enjoying it. It's different from when I first got it from you. So before we started the podcast, so we were talking about how long we thought, how long ago I may have ordered this or you had the offer and I can't remember, but I, it was earlier. It was this year. Like for sure it was this year, I think like earlier in the year. I'd have to look back. Yeah. Because I, I served a couple of these bottles at my tastings as well. So, oh, okay. I'm sure it was this year, but so it is absolutely lovely so for people who don't know what like carbonic means it basically can't explain the whole process but instead of basically pressing the the flesh and the juice of the skin of the grapes off of the skins um you're fermenting basically whole bunches of grapes which just creates different chemical reactions and different fermentation processes so um it just often is like this beauty yeah like creates those like really like fresh bubblegummy like aromas tutti fruity watermelon yeah 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 I mean we can like say Beaujolais Nouveau even though I don't want to like necessarily go there but that's that's the process um okay so this one though I'm it's for carbonic I find that it has like a really really beautiful earthiness to it as well like there's this real like sort of I, I mean, it's obviously from the Cap Franc is like, there's that very like green, <laughs> that kind of green notes, but so fresh. And I actually find that I probably opened the last bottle of this maybe four, four to five months ago. And this has been like in my cold, dark, dank basement. So it's not like been anywhere warm or with light or anything. Um, I think it's softened. Like it's beautiful. Okay, I just had a light bulb moment. I just remembered which wine this is. So this one, when he, he first released it, it smelt like purple scratch and sniff marker and Play-Doh. Yeah. yeah, it was like a, like, there was like a little bit, yeah, there was like that Play-Doh-y, plasticky kind of, like it was almost like, woo, but it blew off after a while, but it is completely like softened, fruity, lovely. Like this is the, I had three bottles of this. This is the best bottle that I've had. Oh, good. Okay, I, he'll be so happy to hear that because he was a little bit, uncertain about the like play-doh he thought it was like a little I don't know it was like aldehydes or like what he was like worried about and he was actually considering going back in and like correcting for it and I was like no I kind of like it it's like very nostalgic like it reminds me of like my childhood or something um but yeah we'll definitely post that he'll he'll be really happy to see that that it's improved 
yeah I, I don't have any left unfortunately so yeah it was like funny I just like literally went searching through my basement and I was like ooh, fun 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 nice okay um I think on that note we're like an hour and a half in we'll probably um end it here is there anything is there like anything else on your mind that you're like I want to say or talk about about your business about the wine is anything burning like just a top of mind like I don't think so. I mean, we, we covered a lot of ground. So I, I, and I'm like wondering who's going to listen to, I mean, if people will listen to Joe Rogan for four hours, they can listen to 90 minutes of us talking about wine. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I listen to like long podcasts all the time. So, okay. Yeah. I'm like not a big podcast podcast person. Like it depends. Like I, have you ever listened to spooked? No it's like scary stories and ghost stories and stuff it's that's one of the ones I really like but right. yeah I'm very selective you'll have to suggest the ones that you you really like to me. oh yeah I, I probably well I drive a lot for work right now so I listen to like hours of podcasts a week so I definitely mm. love that. okay nice. on that cool. note, we'll say bye I won't uh we won't stop but I'll I'll stop the recording here and thanks so much for being here this is thank great. you yes fam if you have made it this far thank you so much uh it was a bit of a longer one we had a couple glasses of wine uh i had a really great time chatting with laura so please check the show notes uh for where you can find her and we will see you next time bye bye